Today, we invited Xavi Singh to our studio to talk about artificial intelligence and customer feedback. Because AI is a frequently discussed topic, we decided to record not just one, but two episodes, so you get all the information you need when planning your future CX strategies. Subscribe to our podcast if you wish to get a notification once the second part is published, and meanwhile, enjoy part one. everybody, welcome to another CX Insider podcast episode. Today, Greg and I are speaking to Chavi Singh, CEO of a company called Vivo. His company provides solutions to collect and analyze customer feedback using artificial intelligence. Hello, Chavi. Thank you for coming on our podcast. Hey, Valentina. Thanks for having me here. Our pleasure. Today, I would like to start off by explaining a bit more how artificial intelligence is used in customer feedback, how it works, and maybe why is it so overlooked by so many companies. Um, as, a, as a customer myself, I have observed the use of AI in various sectors and industries, mainly experienced in customer service or customer support, such as chatbots, for example. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's really useful, sometimes a bit frustrating for the customer, and sometimes it just goes terribly wrong. So I would like to uh, ask you, Chavi, in your own experience, where do organizations go wrong when it comes to collecting and analyzing customer feedback? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so one of the main areas where organizations don't do as good of a job in collecting feedback is that they think feedback that's prompted is, is the right feedback. And what they miss out on is unprompted feedback that's given at the moment. And it's super important because at the end of the day, the real feedback comes when a customer has a surge of emotion, whether it's a positive emotion or a negative emotion. If a customer is feeling overwhelmed, they will share it and increasingly so on social media. But what companies do traditionally is they wait for a few months they launch a survey campaign, they collect answers to questions that they think are important to them instead of asking questions that are important to the customer. And what ends up happening is a lot of customers do not respond. A lot of customers have already uh, plateaued on their emotion. And at the end, the, the, the information that you get from those surveys is not very actionable because you kind of created a rigid structure of questions that you wanted to ask. Whereas in an unprompted setting, you don't know what the customer is going to say, what are they going to mention, how are they going to mention it. And that raw input at the moment is super critical where AI can come in. So far, traditionally, companies have been relying on survey software that are like 15, 20 year old, and they want to make sure that they get structured feedback. They, get, they make their life easy, but in, in return, they don't get the real feedback that's in the minds of customers. Now, I'm thinking about, let's say, there's a global company which has thousands of customers all around the world. How does the AI cope with cultural differences? By that, I mean people from different cultures might use words with slightly different meaning. For example, the other day, Greg and I uh, were comparing the use of, wor- of the word good in Czech workplace and it's equivalent in a British works a workplace, which is excellent. In these two cultures, both words convey the same message, but not if they were used the other way around. 
How does AI take this into consideration in customer feedback? Yeah, that's that's a very uh, very important aspect, and and I'm glad you asked that question. So let me just step back and tell you how it's been happening and how AI can help uh, take care of this. So traditionally, um, all the feedback that firms collect is processed based on keywords and based on like statements that customers make and ratings, which are quantifiable. At no point during that analysis do cultural differences play much role, unless you put a human being to read written comments. And that, as you mentioned, is not possible at scale. So if companies have thousands of customers, it's just not possible to throw people, ask them to read a written comment and understand what the customer is saying. Although we are very good as human beings uh, in understanding the cultural differences, you would have to employ someone with each cultural background to understand those comments. And that at scale is just not possible. And that's where AI comes in. AI is not a monolith, so you're not going to have one standalone model that can take care of all cultural nuances. What AI is good at is understanding the intangible cultural nuances of a single consistent culture. So what you might end up doing in this case is just like if, if you were to do it in a glo- on a global scale, you would have people from different cultural backgrounds reading those comments and then analyzing those. You're going to have to have different AI models for each culture that can then understand what's being said. And the good thing about AI is that it's very good at mimicking human behavior because it's not tangible. You don't have to explicitly tell it what to do. And if you put the right person in charge of training that AI with their own cultural uh, aspects, AI that the person would train would have those cultural aspects. And once you have different AI models for each culture, you'll then be in a position to to make sure that just like a human being, you'll be able to interpret the difference between a British comment versus a Czech comment versus an American comment and the subtle differences in being sarcastic to being outrightly outrageous, all of that spectrum that's in our heads as as human beings can then be transformed into into AI model. And that's where the traditional models fail terribly because they have no way to understand the structure of a, of a sentence and the nuances of what goes where and what it means to put a word somewhere in the sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned AI mimicking human behavior and the cultural aspect. So can it also answer? For example, in your chatbots, can it, uh, can it uh, respond to the customer feedback itself? Yeah, so so AI as such is as a field is is advancing, and this is at a cutting edge. Being able to reproduce a response that uh, that follows the same cultural nuances has the right sentence structure, that I think is still a work in progress. So AI can tell you precisely mm-hmm. what kind of response to give, but the exact words given the context of a certain conversation still have to come from a human being. What you can do in, in this case is there's always like an 80-20 where a lot of customer comments require similar responses. And you can automate all of those. So AI can then, if, a, if something comes in, AI understands what it is, it knows what response to give to that, in that comment. And like 80% of the time, it'll be one of those frequently given responses. The other 20%, you would still need human beings. 
this 80-20 split is going to change over time and AI will take on more and more of that handling. But as of now, we're at a stage where the frequently given answers can be automated, but a very unique situation that requires uh, human intervention still has to be done by human beings. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of time when AI will be able to function on its own in this aspect without any human intervention, but who knows? You mentioned sarcasm and subjectivity of the customer feedback. What about complaint itself? How does it recognize a complaint? Because not every negative thing that you say or is slightly negative is actually a complaint. So how does AI recognize this? Yeah, sure. That that's, that's something that I've been grappling with over the last few months as well. And based on what I've seen empirically over the internet, uh, in a very robust form, you can say that a negative comment, as we all agree, would have uh, negative words, negative emotions associated with it. But a complaint would have not only the negative comment such side, but also certain aspect of the offering. So I'll give you an example. I read a tweet about Verizon, which is a telecom provider in the U.S., and someone tweeted, I hate Verizon. Now, that's a negative comment, but that's not a complaint. There's nothing you can do. You can probably say, we are sorry to hear that. We would love to uh, see how we can help you out. But there's nothing concrete there for customer service. Whereas another comment can say, I hate Verizon customer service, or I hate Verizon internet speed, or my, inter- my Wi-Fi is slow, stuff like that. So the fact that you're mentioning certain aspect of the service, whether it's customer service, internet speed, Wi-Fi, That makes it a complaint. So you have to target something that the company offers, and then you have to have a negative emotion associated with it. That tells me that this is a complaint. And that's how we understand what the complaint is about as well. Usually within companies, there are people that are responsible for handling comments related to certain areas. So if you get a complaint about product, you will have to send it to the team that takes care of product features. If you have a complaint about delivery, shipping, you'll have to send it to that team. And we try to understand what the complaint is about. And and this is also where traditional methods are trumped by AI, because usually imagine a sentence that says, I love your service, but I hate the, uh, the delivery or whatever. So there's one aspect that the customer likes, there's another one that they don't. If you were to use a traditional model, you get confused because there's like two product, two different things. One is service, mm-hmm. one is product. There's one thing that, that the customer likes, other one doesn't. So on an aggregate, it's very hard to tell what it's about. But if using AI, you can associate, okay, this person likes the product, maybe doesn't like the pricing. And then you know that it's a complaint about price, but it's not a complaint about product. And you can send it to the pricing team to take care of that. So that's the way AI can help. And it's, it's not foolproof, but it, it does help clarify things because a lot of the time people just complain or just have something to share that is not necessarily actionable. If, in fact, I did an analysis on, on a company and I found like 60-70% of the tweets that people were, were, were mentioning about their service were not really complaints. They were just their own thoughts and emotions and whatever they were doing only 30% were actually actionable customer service comment. And what that means is if I'm a human being trying to make sure my social media is good, 
I will have to filter out 70% of what I read because that's not relevant and act, act on 30%. And this separating the hay from the stack is where AI can do a really good job at scale. Yeah, thank you. When it comes to word of mouth or people sharing their reviews on social media, they are customers are much more likely to share a negative experience rather than a positive one. So when it comes to using AI to measure a brand perception, can this somehow be biased? Because maybe your overall brand perception can be very positive, but if you analyze it or if you get the, analyze the data uh, from social media, it can be slightly more negative than reality. Right, yeah. So, so that's absolutely true. And uh, the only way you can actually use that information is two ways. One, you can track your uh, customer's emotions over time, and you can then compare yourself versus how you were doing like one month, three months, six months, one year ago. And if you see relatively performing better, then you're improving. So even if the absolute scale, absolute level is, is biased, if the level is, if the if the negative sentiment is going down, the positive one is going up, trending up, then you're doing a good job. That's one way you can use it, irrespective of the bias. The second thing you can do, and that's super important, is benchmarking against your competition. So you can, because it's the same human beings, they will be negative about you in general, and they will be negative about your competition as well. So if you compare yourself versus the competition, you can then see where do I stand against them and how do I improve against that? And it doesn't matter that both of these uh, dots on a graph are actually shifted because of a bias. It doesn't matter because you're just looking at their relative position and trying to improve yourself against the competition. Brilliant. Yeah. I, lo I love that, this bit in particular, Shavi, which is how do you turn what here is, is, is a process-driven item within an organization into something that really does now make a true difference as such um, you're taking what is data and that could be somewhat static data and actually converting that into into actionable items i guess within a business um one question i i guess i have following on from what we've covered so far is is when a cx leader is jumping into maybe a new project to collect feedback and to analyze that feedback of their clients to maybe ga uh, gauge you know a, an updated perception of what their clients think of them I think projects like this, like any project, I guess, it often starts with setting a level of expectation internally, i.e. where, you know, where can we learn from and what are potentially the limitations, I guess, to, to the data that we're going to collect. So my question might be to maybe one on behalf of a CX leader is what are the potential limitations of, you know, in particular prompted feedback so things like surveys where you proactive as a business go and collect feedback in that in that prompted format what are the you know what are the limitations that they should expect and therefore set as their own expectations internally uh yeah that's a, that's a great question because uh thinking about that is super important because unless you know the limitation of what you're what you're about to do um you might have overconfidence in in the outcome itself so some of the limitations of traditional methods, if you send out a survey, there's a very high chance the customer that you're sending it out to uh, interacted with you at least a few weeks ago, if not a few months ago, 
So the emotions that that customer had had during the time they interacted with the company or the service might be stale. So many times when I when people feel something at the moment and there is no survey to respond to right away, then you you'll miss out on that opportunity. And remember, feedback is a gift that customers mm-hmm. give to the companies. And if you if you miss out as a company on that opportunity and send out one every month or every quarter to your customers, you're you're letting go of a lot of important stuff that they had to say. So that's one thing. Remembering that most of the respondents uh, have already cooled down, whether they were super happy or super sad, they've already gone back to the average feeling. So so there's not going to be much aberration in the responses. The second thing, and that's the biggest one, and I think companies realize that is that. A survey is only as good as the questions that you put in that. And understanding mm-hmm. that it constrains a lot of uh, people's feedback is important. If you give out a, a question that has, hey, rate me between 0 and 10 or 1 and 5 and stuff like that, you're constraining stuff. If you put out a few text boxes where you say, tell us more about how you feel, if it's very open-ended, very rarely do people take the time to respond to that. So what you end up getting is, a lot of people do not respond because they already don't have enough of a motivation emotionally to respond. Second, those that do end up clicking on the numbers and skipping those text boxes with, with their comments. And third, even those that do both are, are very few and far in between and cannot be analyzed at scale. And these three things combined make those surveys uh, like really less useful than they should be it's it's a it's an honest attempt at improving but it's it's a highly ineffective method and it speaks to the technology we had at the time because the first time people started sending surveys was decades ago and i feel like the 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 whole industry has to move on to a point where you don't have to create a survey then figure out who to send it to then collect that over a period of time and then try to standardize analyze all of that Things are happening so fast that by the time you start creating a survey to by the time you finish analyzing the results, the world has moved mm-hmm. on, your competitors have moved on, and you can't keep playing catch up with that. You have to have an agile way of getting feedback and analyzing and acting on that. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's really, really interesting because one of the things that I often see that accompanies the requesting of surveys is actually incentives. And I guess when you throw an incentive into the mix, maybe you muddy the water a little bit more because you are creating almost a bit more of a, a potentially inaccurate or fake response because you're offering incentive potentially. Have you seen anything like that in your experience? Yeah, all the time. Like it's it's a very easy shortcut to say if you respond to this survey, we'll give you X percent discount or we'll, we'll give you a mm. gift card, we'll give you stuff like that. And as you said, yeah, it does muddy the water. It's actually your your confidence on the results will should actually go down if you did do this. So two surveys, exactly the same. One gave incentive, the other didn't. The one with the incentive would have more noisy data because you'll see a lot mm-hmm. of people that were not exactly motivated to answer answering stuff. And if someone's not motivated to answer your survey, most of the stuff they're going to say to you in the survey is not going to be as helpful. Brilliant. And And then if I think along the lines of for example, our customers and CX leaders that we speak to, one thing that I, I guess would be a natural trend is how you know how do you automate maybe business processes or automate 
things off of the back of feedback, um, whether that's the data that's been processed or as the data comes in. You know, from your experience, have you seen any really clever ways to automate things, you know, right off the back of feedback that's collected in either real time or once it's been analyzed, maybe later down the line? Yeah, so the surface of automation in terms of feedback contains uh, a few things. One, people try to have quantitative feedback that's just instantly visible. You can plot that and you can make decisions based on that. So look at the example of how many clicks or engagements my marketing campaign has made. That's a feedback to your marketing campaign. And it's very easy to track the clicks and, and, and likes and engagements and views on that. But that has very limited usability and it's very, very shallow. Now, the, the industry st- uh, went one step further and we started un- seeing people trying to use sentiment. So sentiment, when I say sentiment, it's, it's, it's just a spectrum of negative sentiment, neutral sentiment, positive sentiment. And the industry has gone to the point where they know how to extract that information. And if you have a volume of comments or feedback coming in, you can see how that how the sentiments distributed across that. Now, that's as far as the industry has gone so far. There's a term that should and can be done on the on the other content of the feedback itself. But that, as I mentioned earlier, requires more AI, more NLP, because it's very hard to automate uh, using traditional technology. And so far, um, the first wave is the fact that industry knows that they need it. And that, I think, is there. A lot of people, CX experts, they realize the importance of understanding that feedback. The second step is actually doing something about it. And that's where the industry is right now. They are very eager to look at tools that can help them do it. They just don't have the right tools yet. A lot of big companies, they have internal AI teams, data scientists that are helping those companies analyze data. What isn't happening is the medium to small businesses, which is like 80, 90% of the overall business population, uh, they do not have the tools necessary to analyze beyond just a sentiment. And that lack of tool has been one of the reasons why this isn't prevalent yet. But over time, I'm seeing a lot of other companies starting up that are providing that service. And being able to instantly capture and analyze that is is like a dream come true for any product manager or a customer experience person, because then they can visually see where they sit and visually see the impact of a step. So if you see where you are today, you decide to Mm -hmm. take certain steps. In a month or two, you take those steps, you'll start seeing that that the impact of that visually. And I, I think that's a very important and powerful thing to do. We just haven't had the kind of data necessary uh, to do that yet. And, and that's starting to pick up now. That's amazing. And so does that mean then that in the future, whether it's near or far, we could be, t- be potentially looking at technology that can... And maybe this is already here somewhat, I don't know, but could we be looking at technology that can, for example, watch YouTube video reviews of your product or service and pick up on tonalities of voice in the reviews and, and like you say, the nuances of, of, of human language and then be able to feed that back to the business to say, you know, you have X hundred reviews of your latest product live. 
you know, 80% of them are good and 20% are bad. I may be oversimplifying it, but is that the sort of level of capability you think we're either heading towards soon or or in the future? Uh, I think we are getting to that pretty soon, actually. Um, I would actually take that a a step further. You can also say, okay, so the 20% that are really good, what are they saying? Is there anyone that's been saying good things Mm. about me over the last six months? Can I reach out to them and make them my, my advocate? and uh, try to incentivize them to spread the word of mouth, stuff like that. So the information that you get from using AI on this feedback is so rich that it can inform your product decisions, it can inform your marketing decisions, and all of that instantly. So yeah, you're right. Like a YouTube video with reviews below that, an iOS or a a Google Play app with reviews below that. There are Review mm-hmm. sites dedicated to that. There are Facebook, Instagram posts related to that. You can aggregate all of that and understand what people are have been saying. I was tracking, like again, Verizon a few months ago, and I realized there's a, there was a spike in in what people were saying to them. And then I went deeper and realized that AT and T had made a big announcement the day before. So you can start to see surge of interest, both positive and negative, before it becomes too big. And you can take actions based on that. If you see a sudden surge of uh, engagement with your competitors, you you would rather want to know what are they posting about, what have they done differently, can I can I respond to that stuff like that. So, being aware of everything that's going on on the public sphere instantly and being able to act on that at scale is a very powerful skill set that's going to differentiate successful firms from not so much in the future. Fantastic. Well, we're getting to the end of the episode and I haven't asked the big picture question just yet. Do you see any trends going on across different industries from retail, banking to telecoms or maybe even education? Haven't thought about that. Um, That maybe uh, they could learn from each other? Yeah, so a lot of so all of these industries collectively, there are different stages of realizing and moving in, in this direction. For instance, um, retail, which is usually a very highly customer engagement kind of industry, they're they're pretty much at the forefront of taking steps to handle that thing. So I'll give you an example. I was speaking with some retailers who mentioned uh, when they heard about the stuff that we are trying to do, who mentioned that it's not just like a post-purchase feedback that they want to analyze. They also want to track pre-purchase queries. So a lot of people, before making a purchase online, are asking questions like, do you have this color or this size? And a lot of the times, if, if the retailer doesn't respond in time, the customer moves on to something else and the retailer loses revenue. And uh, that is a very big thing for, for the retail industry. And they want to make sure that before the purchase, the customer gets to feel like they are valued. And if they have questions, queries, anything they want to clarify before making that purchase, that that question or query is handled right away, immediately and perfectly. And that's, again, where AI can help because uh, most of these questions and queries uh, fall into certain limited number of categories. And you can make sure that you're able to understand what kind of question someone is asking and respond right away. So, so I would say retail is far ahead compared to other industries in 
understanding the value of and implementing tools related to that. On the other end of the spectrum, you'll see industries that are highly regulated, like healthcare and finance. That's, uh, mm-hmm. that's the nature of the industry itself. So a lot of the time, their main concern is that the cost, because the data is very sensitive, they want to make sure that uh, if AI comes in to analyze uh, what people are saying, there are, there's no way we are capturing any, any personally identified inf- information, that we are handling it properly, securely. So they are a bit slower to move in the direction. They know, like every other industry, the value of this, uh, of capturing feedback. They just want to make sure they implement it right because most of these healthcare and financial firms have, have big reputations to manage and they, they don't want to take the risk and, and make a mistake with, with customers' data. So that's one of the limiting factors that's deciding which industry is moving faster compared to the other one. At tech that you mentioned earlier, um, it's, it's a very fascinating scenario where about a year ago, at tech was not a big, it was purely just just education, but over the last one year, if people have have used technology to to actually implement education and just about everywhere. So in in education, a lot of people are realizing that you can have tools that can help either queries from students or parents or admissions teams, and a lot of stuff that can, that can be automated should be automated there. So for instance people reaching out to a very busy teacher for for questions, you as a teacher can then use AI to understand what kind of questions they're asking. Are there any like responses I can give right away? So you can implement one-on-one education at scale because of AI. But then it's a very it's at a very nascent stage, I would say, and it, it's only started like a year ago. So there's not much happening there yet. But I'm guessing it's going to continue to happen at a very fast pace going forward. Definitely, I uh, I agree with you. Um, <clears throat> so far, we talked about a, a company analyzing its own customer feedback or its own brand perception. Um, but you mentioned benchmarking. And my last question today to you, Chavi, would be, um, is it possible that the collected uh, customer feedback could be used to create a competitive advantage? Absolutely, yeah. That's that that is uh, a fantastic thing to think about because uh, what you what you do when you think this way is you you're actually flick, flipping the script. And so mm-hmm. when you traditionally imagine a company asking for feedback or getting feedback. You're not, you're not actually on the defensive anymore. You're not questioning your abilities. What you're doing is you're being aggressive. You're saying, tell me how can I be better? And that's fantastic on its own. But then when you, when you add to that the fact that all of this is happening publicly and it's happening publicly for you as a company and it's happening publicly for your competitors, you can also see how are your competitors' customers talking about your competitors themselves and compare yourself with them and say, okay, my, com- my, comp- my com- um, customers tell me that my product is fantastic, but my delivery is not so much. Whereas my competitors' customers are saying that they provide fantastic service, the pro- product features are probably not as good. If you have this information, this is gold, because then you can say, okay, what do I, 
need to do to improve my service as well. And, and that way, I will be able to beat my competition on both, both angles. So information as rich as what are people talking about and how do people feel about that thing. That information compared to you and your co- co- competitors is, is super helpful for companies. It can tell you which direction tactically to go based on what you've been seeing over the last few months. It can also tell you strategically where to go in the next year or two based on what people have been saying over the last year or two. And that can help you differentiate yourself. You can also use that information to your advantage in terms of your marketing campaigns. You can highlight the fact that you're perceived better on X, Y, and Z. You can also use that for improvement. You can say, okay, if my customers complain about this aspect of my offering versus my competitor, how do I improve that? So there is a lot of wealth of information out there about you and your company. And the filters and the technology, it's all the same. You can apply the same model that analyzes your customers' comments to the your competitors' customers' comments and then see yourself visually sitting there on a competitive chart against your competition. And if you do that over time, you can see where you're going versus your competitor and where the industry is going itself. And that, I think, is a very powerful message that you can then use to inform your decisions. All of that is possible because you're analyzing hundreds of thousands of data points a day at scale and intelligently. And that is not something that companies have been doing in the past. And that I think, if done right, can really differentiate the really aggressive, uh, well-run companies from the not so much ones. And everyone wants to make sure they know what the competitor is doing and how are they better so they can improve themselves. So it's a no-brainer when we when we talk to companies and then we tell them that this is the kind of information and insight you can get from from implementing AI in customer service. It there it just blows their mind and they they immediately start realizing and it just changes the perception from being dis- defensive as a feedback seeker to being offensive to turn that customer interaction into a competitive advantage. Because I have the wealth of knowledge that my customers are giving me, and I can use that knowledge to improve. And if a company is not using that tool, they're missing out on that. If you like this episode, don't forget to like, share, comment, or subscribe to CX Insider on one of your preferred channels. In the next episode, we will continue our discussion on AI and customer feedback, and I will see you in two weeks.